worst day of your life? <laughs> at least at that moment, it appeared to be the worst day. All right. We're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 here eventually. But I'd like for you to turn there in those Bibles that you held up. <clears throat> Two days after her 17th birthday, Laura Welch had a friend in her car and the wind in their hair. The world was young in 1963, at least from Laura's music and school and friends and uh, up to that young couple that occupied the White House, John and Jackie Kennedy. Whatever problems Laura had, they were minor. This day was meant for driving, for listening to the radio and chatting with that girlfriend. But in the midst of the chatter, Laura made a mistake. She didn't see the stop sign and the blur of on-rushing vehicles grinding to a standstill as the terrible crunching sound of metal was heard. Laura and her friend were shaken up, but they were able to recognize the car that had been knocked through the intersection. It belonged to 17-year-old Michael Douglas, a popular student in Midland, Texas. Michael was also Laura's boyfriend. He was thrown from the car that he was in, suffering at the time a broken neck, and by the time help arrived, he was dead. Laura knew that it was her fault. No words could describe it, Laura would say many years later. As an adult and a parent, she understands more than ever the painful consequences of that moment. It brought devastation not only to her life, but to another family's heartbreak. It was without doubt the worst day of Laura Welch's life. It would be many years before Laura could <clears throat> think of dating seriously again, but romance unexpectedly, unexpectedly flourished, and Laura married, raised her children, and took the spiritual reins of her family. After that day in 1963, Laura found only one real strength that would never fail her, and it was that strength in her faith in God. Only her face saw Laura through that day and the days that followed, and never again did she have a casual attitude about life and about her trust in God. But Laura's marriage also eventually came to a crucial intersection. Her two rich husbands started drinking more and more, and in 1986, Laura confronted him. And according to news reports, she laid it on the line, he must choose between her or alcohol. Well, Laura's husband made a wise choice. He subdued his thirst <clears throat> and paid much more attention to the faith that his wife had been showing him. He soon found that a deep abiding faith was worth the effort, worth the investment of his time and his energy. And today, both Laura and her husband, former President George W. Bush, they look back <clears throat> on the entire season of struggle as the turning point for their marriage, their family, and for their political journey. Laura says her life changed before any problems with George on an ordinary day in 1963 that became the worst day of her life. What will you do in the wake 
of the worst moment of your life. At an intersection of tragedy or crisis, will that day drive you from your faith or to a depth, a new depth of trust in God who wants to use every moment for good? If your faith can be proved in the wake of your worst day ever, then you've got a powerful faith, a mighty and a powerful faith. In the early days of the church, many people who witnessed the murder of Stephen felt it was the worst day of their lives. Stephen had been one of the most popular and effective men in the early church. He was godly to the core, filled with grace and love and the ability to do signs and wonders as he prayed in the name of Jesus, were amazing. He was, that is, Stephen was one of a kind, and many people looked up to him. Thousands of new believers worshipped in Jerusalem. Most of them must have loved Stephen. But a flash of violence erupted at a key intersection for the church, and without warning, the unbelievable became a reality. Stephen arrested, charged, and executed. The enemies of the church took off their gloves they stoned Stephen broke his body left him lifeless on the rocks of that killing place the killing of Stephen then opened the door for all kinds of persecution men, women, teenagers, boys and girls ran for their lives some of them couldn't run fast enough some of them landed in prison Some would eventually lose their lives, as Stephen did, if the early church had written a book titled Worst Day Ever, many a chapter would have been hurriedly written around the events of our text today in Acts chapter 8. Here's what happened in the aftermath of Stephen's murder. Pick it up at verse 1, Acts chapter 8. And Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I don't know about you, but I've known several worst days. Perhaps you have as well. Perhaps your worst day, if you haven't had one, might be at the next intersection of life that you're living today. But when it comes to the worst day, we've got to know this. It is possible to trust God after the worst day of your life. In fact, trusting God on that day will be our only hope. And I want to give you three principles to apply today that will help you in developing that trust. To survive the worst day of your life, first of all, you need to remember who God is. Many of us can easily point to a day when everything went wrong, as with Laura Welch Bush. Maybe it was a car accident, perhaps a sudden heart attack. Uh, sudden death of a soulmate could have come with a personal financial crisis or a diagnosis of some medical problem. For the early Christian, Stephen's funeral only promised more funerals. It now became open season on Christians 
not too unlike our day-to-day in other parts of the world. They escaped Jerusalem, but the persecution followed them. It followed them through Samaria, through Judea. They ran toward Galilee, Asia, Egypt, and Rome, pulled up roots, tried to carry enough stuff to pay for the journey. Saul would be willing to travel more than 125 difficult miles, either on foot or on an uncomfortable donkey, to arrest Christians in Damascus. Imagine the hatred that would make a man travel that far. Imagine the fear of those who were on the run and in hiding. If life has declared open season on you, know this, it's just an unfortunate part of life. Nothing in the Bible, nothing in the nature of God suggests that bad things won't happen as you and I live life. Can you say amen to that? But if you live long enough, some things will, in fact, almost crush you. Now that I've set such a bleak picture, (laughs) know something else. The worst day of your life does not change the nature of God or the nature of God's love for us. The worst day of your life is just that. The worst day of your life. Not everybody else's life. And it doesn't negate your existence. Doesn't change your love for others that are around you. Remember who God is. And you've begun that survival process. So, to survive the worst day of your life, remember who God is. Secondly, remember what God can do. Laura Bush, she looks back on that terrible accident as the day she became serious about life. There would be no more childish pursuits, no more laughing through the days as if life would last forever, no more casual attitude toward the things of God. The next time she went to church, she went with a passion. A passion toward the things of God. And that passion would mold her and mold her into the woman of faith that was strong and strong enough to mold a president. Because of her faith, his faith became stronger. And because of the president's faith on September 11, 2001, following the worst attack of terrorism in American history, America saw a leader with solid spiritual footing. Could God have been at work throughout all of Laura's life, at work after the worst day of her life so long ago, helping her to help us through one of our nation's worst days? Well, perhaps. Producing fruit from worst days seems to be a pattern with God. Take a look at verse 4 in Acts chapter 8. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word. And what does your Bible say? Wherever they went. And you know, that's really it. It's just a little sentence. But it represents an incredible movement of God's people. They spread the word about Jesus in Joppa. Planted churches in Cyprus. Started Bible studies in Alexandria. Baptized new believers in Ephesus. Wrote letters. Recorded the gospel in writing. Took the message of Jesus to every corner of the known world of that day. Thanks to the persecution of God's people, thanks to the worst days of those lives, the message of Christ became a worldwide phenomenon. Why did good come out of bad after the worst day of so many 
people's lives, it's only because people remember what God could do. It might not have been uh, taken them long before they saw the good coming out of the bad, before Stephen's death shook the very foundation of the church. That was a happy church, a perfect church, a group of people with almost no troubles or fears. They had everything in common. When trouble had come, the miracles had come too. There was no hardship that they had not been able to stand under. And they were winning new believers all the time. What a church. Man, who wouldn't want to be a church, part of a church like that, especially in Jerusalem? But the honeymoon suddenly was over and the church realized life would never be the same. It was probably mystifying and discouraging to the point of depression to some of the new believers. They must have been in a daze and just said, man, what happened here? Why had God let them down? Why hadn't God rescued Stephen? I mean, if God had allowed Stephen a glimpse of heaven as he died, why why hadn't God simply shown those rock-throwing unbelievers who the boss was? In the aftermath of the disaster, many of those Christians must have asked, hey, where was God? How could God have done this? How could a good God have allowed this to happen? Maybe they reflected on a teaching that said God could bring good out of every situation. Many have wondered, haven't they? Maybe you've had some crisis and you've wondered as well how good can come from anything that's bad, and especially what I'm involved in right now. But from their vantage point, the death of a good man Families running like refugees, events didn't look like a good work of God. But for us, living today, hearing this message, it's a wonderful thing. Because if Stephen hadn't died, and if the church hadn't scattered, Christianity might have stayed in Jerusalem forever. God wanted the message in Asia, so He allowed the persecution. He wanted the message in Africa, so He allowed a terrible thing to happen. He wanted the message of grace to land in Europe, so He allowed messengers of death to follow on the same roads as the refugees. God wanted you to have a home in heaven, so He took away the homes of the countless Christians in Jerusalem. And in a sense, God used persecution to chase the gospel to every corner of the world. But as it turns out, God was at work in a difficult situation. It took years for those Christians to realize it. Turns out God was working all the time. Some of them never saw how God was at work, but He was working just the same. God could be working in a difficult situation in your life right now. It could be that it'll be years before you understand the why of a tough time or the underlying reason behind a crisis, and it could be that you'll never know the answers. Faith is believing that God is at work during the worst day of your life, even when you can't see how He's working. Trust God on that one. He can bring good out of the worst day of your life. He's the only one, in fact, who can bring good out of any day. God is in control, and God is always good. So to survive the worst day of your life, remember who God is. Secondly, remember what God can do. And then thirdly, allow God to keep working through you. 
Allow God to keep working through you. The most important part of the story about Stephen's death and the persecution of the believers is contained in a simple verse there in verse 5. Let's look at that. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria. And what does your Bible say he did? He proclaimed the Christ there. Now, if you just take a casual glance at that, you'll think, well, that's nothing significant. But it's huge. It's huge. Philip was the first deacon right after Stephen, listed in Acts chapter 6. They were close, I bet. Philip hurt to see his friend Stephen murdered. I'm sure it crushed him in his spirit and in his heart. Probably broke his heart to see his friend wrapped in grave sheets and seeing him lay in a grave he would never see the flash of that buddy's smile again but philip did something we all must do if we're ever going to see good come out come out of the worst days of our lives philip kept breathing kept moving and kept living when he got his breath when he made plans for the next day of life he kept his faith He didn't turn away from his God. He did not leave the family of faith. He did not lose his trust in Christ. If you read verse 5 out of context, you'd have no idea that Philip had just lost his best friend. You'd have no idea that his church had just suffered through a nightmare. The brutal murder of their most beloved servant leader. Now, if you only read verse 5, you'd think that Philip was going about business as usual, preaching as he had always done before Stephen's death, going to new places just like Jesus had asked him to, living life as he did before his heart had been cut in two. And really, that's the point. When the worst day of life comes, you'll have either to abandon your faith as useless or keep your faith as the only thing of value in your life. There's no middle ground if you can make the courageous decision to keep putting one foot in front of the other. If you can make the important faith step of turning to God alone for your strength, you'll discover that wonderful reality that God can use the worst day of your life to take your faith into new areas of strength, to work miracles in the wake of tragedy, to bring good out of something that is not good at all. Now, folks, that's power. That's the kind of power that you'll find only under the care of God's Holy Spirit. When you wake up in the morning or on the morning of that worst day, read your Bible. When you get over the shock, pray. When you gather your wits about you, spend time in praise of God and thanksgiving to God and in worshiping our holy God. When Sunday comes, be in church. Be around those Christians that God has given you. These are all faith steps, steps of trust. Take those steps. Keep taking those steps, no matter how small they may appear. Just keep walking. But the truth is, walking is hard. When the worst day of your life comes, the pain is beyond unbearable. And it seems like it's going to hurt forever. You and I are designed to hurt. 
to grieve, to cry, to panic, to scream, to fall on the ground and admit that we can't take the pain. That's the way we're made. And it's true that if you open your Bible on the day after, if you pray on the morning after, if you go to church the Sunday after, the pain, it'll still be there. It takes time for that grief process to work. It takes time for that smile to return, for that laughter to shake our very bellies as we've seen people laugh like that. It takes time to work through the process. Amen? But if you manage to read your Bible, to pray, to thank God for, the good, for His goodness and to be around your church family in the wake of your worst day, <laughs> then you're exercising faith. And in time, that exercise of faith will bear tremendous fruit. When Philip allowed God to walk with him, and after the worst day of his life, great things happened quickly. He went down to uh, the city of Samaria, as we mentioned, proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard that Philip and they saw these miraculous signs that he could do, they paid close attention to what he said. I love how that last of that stated. It says, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip responded to the worst day of his life with the obedience to faith that has already set him apart from so many other Christians. While in Samaria, Philip did the kinds of things Stephen had done, things that had marked the ministry of Jesus. Demons took off running. Miracles happened. Philip found power for living that he had never known before. He was probably physically exhausted and spiritually energized and I love the way that passage ends in verse 8 when it says there was great joy in that city. The translation of that Greek phrase and word joy means mega. We live in a mega-sized culture, don't we? You can have mega-sized drinks, mega-sized sandwiches, mega-sized everything. Bigger the better. This city had overwhelmingly giant mega joy based on what Philip had introduced them to, and that's a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Frank's worst day came far too suddenly. Never had a community seen a man so passionately in love with his wife. She was the light of his life, the diamond of his existence. Frank was a hopeless romantic. Their marriage was on display for their church and their community. She died without warning, a broken blood vessel taking her life before she could even say goodbye. Frank then lost weight, lost interest in his work, lost his laughter. But he never, never lost his faith in God. He knew that somehow he had to put one foot in front of the other, and it was as if the only thing he had to lean on was his faith. Frank had built a foundation on the rock called Jesus and when the storms came, he knew that foundation would be secure. Slowly, over the course of many months, the laughter reappeared. Slowly, he regained interest in his work and in his hobbies. And for a while, though he couldn't sing the hymns of faith at church, he tried, but he just simply would cry. So he stood there silently letting his fellow believers sing those songs of faith for him. And then one day, he too began to sing those songs again. One day he picked up a grandchild and saw a familiar light in her eyes. One night he laid down to sleep and realized that he had honestly enjoyed life that day. 
all day. What Frank couldn't see that night was what the rest of the community had seen for months, the way his daughter and her family watched him, the image he had created for his grandchildren, a few of them already in the first days of their marriages. For two years, they had watched this man recover from the worst day of his life. They had seen the pages of his Bible become more worn, more torn, more stained with tears. They had seen him pray so earnestly in a church pew that they knew his praying wasn't reserved for hours just inside the church. They had seen the way he encouraged others, the way he was ready to help the slightest need, the way he poured himself into service. And they had also seen the way God had lifted him up from the worst day of his life and restored him to the joy of his walk and the laughter of his soul. If we were to drop in on Frank's church today, being Sunday, we'd see many people who've drawn strength from his quiet leadership They can't help but be drawn to his joy, a super-sized, mega-sized joy that can't be contained. We could find many members of his family in that church singing those songs of faith together, and we could somehow see the future. If we could do that, we'd see the day when crisis arrives again, when family and friends all around this man will face the worst day of their lives. But in that day they'll be able to draw on something more than the Bible's message. They'll remember what faith looks like when devastation strikes because they've seen it lived out in this man's life. Father, I ask you this morning to be very real to us today. Father, we have a lot of things going on in all of our lives. Everybody has their own personal struggle, their own personal things that they deal with and have to deal with. But God, I know one thing, that if we're facing the worst day of our life, there's no better place to turn than to you. Because on a day when your son Jesus was beaten, mocked, spit upon, and eventually nailed to a cross. It had to be the worst day that you've seen. And yet, Father, all of that had to happen so that we would not taste the ultimate worst day of our lives. And that's to spend an eternity away from you. So, Father, today, would you reassure every heart in this room? If there's someone in this room that needs a special touch from you, would you grant that today? Would you give them the courage to let us know about that so we can pray for them, number one? And number two, can help guide them to you. Father, today is a great day to call out to your name. So whatever struggle they are facing, whatever obstacle is in front of them, I know you can help them through it. So God, if there's somebody here today needing prayer, needing to join the church, 
needing to join your family through baptism. Father, would they let us know so we can teach them, instruct them, so they know the importance of those decisions. And God, we just ask you to move today. Blow a fresh wind of your spirit across your people in this church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our two elders will be here.